Our sermon this morning will come from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 10. I'll be reading from Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 10 this morning. Uh, Just before the the third century, there was a Roman emperor named uh, Emperor Septimius Severus, and he came into power. And as he came into power, one of the things that he had on his mind, one of his main goals as emperor was to at all costs protect Roman patriotism. And one of the ways that he planned to do this was by eradicating and crippling any group of people that stood in the way or even posed the slightest threat to Roman patriotism. And one of the groups during this time that he thought posed a great threat to Rome were the Christians. And so what he began to do was immediately start arresting Christians. And among the first to be arrested were five young people who had just become Christians and they were taking classes to prepare for their baptism. And among these five, there was a young woman named Perpetua. Perpetua, she was a young woman. She had just been married. She had a newborn son. She was a daughter. And as soon as Perpetua was thrown into prison because of her professed faith in Jesus, her father came to visit her in prison. And for her father, who who wasn't a believer, he was a pagan, he saw a really simple solution to all this. He knew that Perpetua was thrown into prison because of her newfound religion. And he he came to see Perpetua in prison and he told her, all that you have to do to get out of prison is just deny the fact that you are a Christian. So upon hearing these words from her father, Perpetua looked at her father and nearby in the jail cell there was a vase. And Perpetua looked at her father and she said, Father, do you see that vase over there? He says, yes, yes, I see it. She says, is there anything other than, can that thing be called anything other than a vase? And her father, a little bit perplexed, looked at her and said, well, no, it's a vase. And she said, Father, in the same way, I cannot be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. In the next days, Perpetua was moved to a different part of the prison where she was allowed to breastfeed her child because, again, she was a new mother. And with her trial quickly approaching, her father comes yet again to plead with Perpetua to deny her faith. He said these words, Have pity on my gray head. Have pity on me, your father. Do not abandon me to the reproach of men. Think of your brothers. Think of your mother and your aunt. Think of your child who will not be able to live once you are gone. Give up your pride. Perpetua, obviously emotional upon hearing these words from her father, looked at her father and responded, And said this, Father, it will all happen in the prisoner's dock as God wills. For you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in his power. 
Finally, a few days had gone by and the day of her trial had arrived and Perpetua's other four friends had already been questioned for their faith and had stood firm. They had stood firm and and held to their faith in the Lord Jesus despite questioning, despite persecution. And finally, the governor turned to Perpetua for her questioning. And at the moment of her questioning, just before the governor asked her questions, her father one final time burst into the room and this time carrying her newborn son. Just imagine this scene, this, this young woman, this young, this young mother standing to be questioned for her faith. And her father bursts in with her son and he cries out, perform the sacrifice, which would have been her denying her faith and placing her faith in the emperor, essentially. He says, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. Upon hearing this, even the governor chimed in, obviously moved at everything he's seeing. And he says, have pity on your father, Perpetua. Have pity on your infant son. Offer the sacrifice for the welfare of of the emperor, but Perpetua simply but boldly looked the governor in the eyes and said, I will not. So the governor, one last question, looked at her and said, Are you a Christian then? She says, Yes, I am. And upon hearing these words, her father one final time tried to interrupt, but the governor had heard enough. And upon those last words, he condemned Perpetua and her friends to all die in the arena because they refused to renounce their faith in their Lord Jesus. And we hear that story, and it's, it's obviously a, a, an encouragement to us, a, a motivation for us, an example for us to follow as we are questioned for our faith in Jesus. But I want you to think about the different lenses of which Perpetua would have been viewed during this time. I want you to think about the different ways that Perpetua would have been seen. To Perpetua's heartbroken father, who tried three times to get her to deny her faith, She was just a foolish young woman who was choosing her silly newfound religion over her family and her newborn son. To the emperor, Perpetua was just another threat to Rome. To the crowds in the arena, she was just some religious fanatic that needed to be disposed of that would provide entertainment for them for a few short minutes. But there's another way that Perpetua would have been viewed during all this. There's another lens at which we should see Perpetua during this time, and it comes from the eyes of Jesus. In the eyes of Jesus, Jesus would have looked upon Perpetua during all of these events that we just heard about, and he would have looked at her and he would have said, she's blessed. She's blessed. And we see that in the passage that we've already heard heard read for us this morning. In Matthew 5.10, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So as we consider this passage together this morning, we're going to see why it is that Jesus would look at someone like Perpetua, someone despised and hated and rejected in the world's eyes, and why he would look at her and call her blessed. I have three points for us this morning. So as those of you who are following along in your outline, as you can see, I was really creative and out of the box with my three points for us. Point one, blessed. Point two, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And point three, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at point one and consider this word blessed. Over the last several weeks, you've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and you've seen this repetition of the word blessed. And obviously, because this has been covered each week, you've seen it every week, this will be a very brief point. But I think it's helpful at this point in verse 10, as we near the end of the Beatitudes, it's helpful to revisit this both as a refresher, but also because of its relevance and to the words and phrases that follow it in the rest of verse 10. When Jesus says the word blessed, 
He's drawing our attention to these spiritual qualities that you've seen over the last several weeks that should be embodied by the people of God as they are living under the rule and reign of their God and their king in the kingdom of God. And he's describing these spiritual qualities and says, hey, do you see this? Do you see this type of person? Do you see these spiritual qualities? Do you see these things? This is amazing. This is the happy person. This is the person that's truly flourishing. This is the person that's truly living the good life. When we hear this word blessed, our mind should immediately go back to the Old Testament in Psalm 1, where we see the man who meditates and delights in the law of the Lord day and night is blessed. Or the Proverbs, where we see that the man who is blessed is the one who pursues godly wisdom. But now Jesus comes onto the scene in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says things like, you want to know who's flourishing? You want to know who's really blessed? You want to know who's really living the good life? It's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's the meek. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And then finally today, and perhaps most scandalously, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now again, I hope that you can see and even feel how shocking those statements would have been to the crowds, to his disciples, and even to us today in how Jesus is describing the blessed ones. This is not at all how the world would look at someone and say those people are the ones who are blessed. But what Jesus is doing in these Beatitudes and throughout the Sermon on the Mount is he's showing us today that the economy of the kingdom of God is in direct and stark contrast to the economy of the kingdom of the world. In fact, he's taking what the world would call blessed or the good life, and he's flipping it completely upside down. So I think the word that God has for us this morning, and as you've been studying throughout these Beatitudes, is to reorient our minds and reorient our views over what the blessed life or the good life looked like. Because it can be so easy for us to unintentionally and even unknowingly drift into worldliness and drift into valuing the things that the world values. We are in constant need of doing what Romans 12, 2 calls us to do in saying that we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that is especially true as we consider our passage for today when it says perhaps the most shocking statement that people like Perpetua, people who are despised, hated, and rejected in the world's eyes, people who are persecuted for righteousness sake are blessed. So what is Jesus talking about here when he says those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? So those of you, some of you might hear this this morning. You think, well, it's pretty self-explanatory. We don't need to talk about it. But I think it's helpful to think about and, and to consider what the disciples would have thought of when Jesus said the words persecuted for righteousness sake. Not only what the disciples would have thought, but also what Jesus himself would have had in mind as he uttered that phrase to them. So let's look at point two, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. What would have come to the minds of the people who heard Jesus say, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? Well, I think they would have known their Old Testaments. I think they would have thought of Cain, who was murdered by his brother Abel because he was jealous that God accepted Cain's sacrifice and not his own. I think they would have thought of King David, who narrowly escaped death by the hands of Saul multiple times because of Saul's jealousy of David's growing fame and his anointing as king of Israel. 
I think they would have thought of Jeremiah, who was beaten, threatened with death, and thrown into a cistern because of his faithfulness to proclaim the word of God, even whenever it was unpopular. I think they would have thought of Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den because he continued to remain steadfast in prayer to his God, even when it was deemed illegal. I think they would have thought of people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the fiery furnace because they refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. All throughout the history of God's people, there has been this constant thread, this constant theme of God's people being hated and even mistreated because of their faith and obedience to the one true God. And all of this ultimately goes back to Genesis 3.15, where we see that there's this war being waged between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. From the very beginning, it has been abundantly clear that God's people have been and always will be hated by their enemies. And so while these people would have certainly been on the minds of Jesus as he was giving this sermon, I think Jesus had more on his mind as he was giving this sermon. I think Jesus had more on his mind as he was uttering this statement, as he was speaking these words. Jesus had more on his mind because there were things that were yet to happen that were going to go right along with these things that we saw throughout the Old Testament. So what was it? What is it that would have been on Jesus' mind as he talked about those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake? Well, surely Jesus would have known that not long after he finished preaching this sermon, John the Baptist would have been beheaded because he was willing to speak out against an unlawful divorce. But the truth is, Jesus would have known that all of those Old Testament events that we just talked about, and even John the Baptist's death that was coming, were all ultimately just foreshadowing and preparing all of us for the greatest persecution for righteousness' sake in all of human history, Jesus himself. All throughout the Gospels, the Gospel writers go to great lengths to show that Jesus is the perfect Son of God, the perfectly righteous one, the completely innocent one, the Christ, the Messiah, the King that God sent to rescue his people. And yet, instead of being warmly embraced and followed by his people, he was, as the prophet Isaiah said, despised and rejected by the very ones he came to save. The King was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he was hung on a cross to suffer and die at the hands of lawless men. Jesus, the righteous one, was persecuted. And as Jesus is speaking these words, he knows not only the death that's waiting for him, not only the death that's waiting for John the Baptist, but he also knows the persecution that's waiting for his disciples as they're sitting there listening to him preach the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Matthew 16, 24. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 24, 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Brothers and sisters, if the saints and apostles of old were persecuted for righteousness sake, and if our Lord himself was persecuted and murdered on a cross, Why would we, as people living here in Enid, Oklahoma, 2020, expect anything less than persecution as we take up our cross and follow after Jesus? Or as Thomas Watson puts it, was the head of Jesus crowned with thorns? And do we think to be crowned with roses? Scripture is abundantly clear that as we follow Jesus, we will be hated by the world. Listen to 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be hated persecuted. But we need to be clear here. 
I think it's helpful to stop just for a second and, and consider, again, our passage, Matthew 5.10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus doesn't just stop there and say, blessed are those who are persecuted. And that's clearly intentional because there are so many ways that we could bring ourselves into persecution that is not for righteousness' sake. There's a reason that I think that this passage comes right after all of the other Beatitudes and it follows the one that says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so this is so important for us to be reminded of because it could be really tempting for some people, some some, uh, young, energetic, young Christians to hear this verse and and to use it as an excuse to go on a social media rampage, picking fights with everyone, screaming at everyone, and then they face some backlash and they walk around with a smug look on their face and say, well, I'm blessed, I'm persecuted. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus isn't talking about persecution that comes from us seeking it out or talking about persecution that comes as a result of our own foolishness. But Jesus is talking about those who are persecuted because they are righteous as Jesus himself is righteous. As one pastor puts it, he says, we don't have to seek out persecution. If we are like Jesus, it will find us. Listen to John 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So what does this look like for us today? What does it look like for us in Enid, Oklahoma, 2020 to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Now, to be sure, there are brothers and sisters all across the world who have turned from sin and placed their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, who are facing very real threats of death even today because they, are, they have turned from their sins and placed their faith in Jesus. They are gathering with God's people, worshiping, some of them in underground churches, afraid to be found out by the government. And they are in very real threats of facing death, just like Perpetua that we heard about at the very beginning. But if we're honest, not many of us woke up fearful to come to church this morning because we were afraid we're going to lose our lives because of our faith in Jesus. But this passage still applies to us in the same ways it applies to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. Persecution will still come for us, especially today, as the tides of culture are coming and changing so rapidly all around us. It is becoming increasingly more difficult. The the culture in the world is becoming increasingly more hostile towards people who are willing to place their faith in Jesus and stand firm over what God has said to us in his word. So what does this look like for us today? Well, I think it it could come as you're ostracized or lose your job because you're unwilling to budge on numbers and speak the truth and not lie about numbers that you put on a report. It could come even as this church losing a tax-exempt status because you're willing to speak out on the truths of God's word. It could come as you're being hated and called a bigot because you refuse to value and accept the things that the world accepts and values. For those of you in here who are young and students, it could mean you're made fun of at school because you're willing to stand up for the kid that's bullied or you're being made fun of because you're not willing to compromise on your morals and the things that you see God has called you to do or not do based on his word. It will come for all of us as we are faithfully pursuing righteousness. 
It will come for all of us as we are faithfully following Jesus and as we are standing out as salt and light in a dark world that Jesus is about to say in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount because the darkness hates the light. And so all of this should cause us to pause and consider this morning. Are you willing to pursue righteousness even when it's costly? Is your love for Jesus so great that you're willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Is your faith in Jesus genuine enough to suffer because of it? I want you to imagine with me for a second that later on this week, I'm, I'm driving around town and I, and I realize that I need to get gas. And so I pull off at a gas station to fill up. And as I step out of my truck and I'm putting my card at the pump, a man walks up to me and he threatens me and tells me to give him my wallet. In that moment, that's a really easy decision for me because I would gladly hand the man my wallet, and I'd rather keep my life than lose my wallet. And to be honest, joke's on him because he's not getting away with much. But I want you to imagine the same scenario. And instead of a man walking up to me, threatening me, and telling me to give him my wallet, he tells me to give him the keys to my truck. Now, okay, the odds are starting to ramp up a little bit more. It's a little bit more difficult decision for me because my, my truck is, a little bit, is worth a little bit more than what my wallet would have had in it. But still, fairly easy decision. It's a 2008 Honda. So again, you got a couple years left, and then good luck, find another car. But let's, let's bump it up one last notch. I want you to imagine with me that the same man walked up to me, this time with a gun in his hand, and he tells me to give him my wallet, Give him my keys, step away from my truck, but this time, my son's in his car seat in the back seat. We have a completely different ball game here at this moment. That man would have to kill me dead before I was willing to let him take my truck with my son in it. Why? Because the love I have for my son is so great that I would be willing to do anything for him. Friends, the amount that we love something is revealed in how much we're willing to suffer for it. And one of the things that we see throughout Scripture is that persecution has a way of weeding out the true followers of Jesus from the false followers of Jesus. As you continue throughout the book of Matthew, you're going to read in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Those who are uh, one of the seed that doesn't get planted on good soil are those who persecution arrives on account of the word and they fall away. So if you're here this morning, or you're listening online, or you're watching this later, and you claim to be a Christian, but you know that you would not be willing to face any sort of hardship because of your supposed faith in Jesus, or maybe your version of Christianity looks so much like the world that no one would even be able to tell that you're a Christian. If that's you this morning, then I lovingly want to ask you to consider where it is that your faith and your love actually lie. And the call for you from this passage this morning is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus, the King, the Lord, the Savior, who died for sinners, the Lord of all. But for those of you who are here this morning who are true, genuine believers, here's the call from this passage that you need to hear. Yes, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted in some way, some fashion, some form. Jesus says the world is going to hate you. Those are not ifs. He says all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Here's what you need to hear this morning. You have a king. You have a Lord. 
you have a savior who doesn't call you to go through anything that he himself isn't willing to go through first for you on your behalf. The love that Christ had for you, believer, was revealed in how much he was willing to suffer for you, a death on a cross where he took the full wrath of God upon himself for your sins and for mine, all taken upon himself. His death is our life. Jesus has already gone before you in this, and now he's calling you to follow after him. And here's what happens as we follow after Jesus, even in the midst of persecution. We make Christ and his gospel look glorious to the world around us when we're willing to suffer for it. Just think about so many Christians today. Christianity doesn't look that awesome when we're millionaires and we're living lush lives and there's really no threats around us. Yeah, we can say we're a Christian. The world loves what we hear. But what makes Christianity look amazing? Christianity looks amazing when people hear stories of people like Perpetua. Christianity looks glorious. Jesus looks glorious as we're willing to do anything for the sake of our king. That's what makes Jesus look amazing. But here's the glorious thing about this passage. The passage doesn't just end with Jesus saying, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, and then stops there. This passage doesn't end with Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to suffer a lot for you, and then you're going to have to suffer a lot for me. Sure, that's true on some levels, but we have to remember the reason that Jesus says everyone who's persecuted for righteousness sake is blessed. Why is it that Jesus calls people who are persecuted for righteousness sake blessed? Well, the passage ends by telling us why. Look back at verse 10. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at our last point, point three, the kingdom of heaven. What is it about this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about here that makes those who have to suffer for righteousness sake blessed? Well, in order to know that, we have to know a little bit about the kingdom. And all throughout the gospel of Matthew, Jesus has continually been bringing up this theme of the kingdom. What is it that he would be referring to? Well, all throughout Scripture, we get little glimpses of what this kingdom is going to be like. In 2 Samuel, God promises David, and he says that David, one day one of David's offspring, is going to establish his throne forever. And in that kingdom, they will finally have their own land, where they will never again be disturbed by the enemies, and they will have perfect rest. In Isaiah, he picks up this theme of the kingdom, and he tells us that this king of this kingdom will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He says this kingdom will forever be filled with justice and righteousness. He says that there will no more be violence or devastation or destruction. He says all mourning will forever be ended. He says there will never again be the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. You get into the New Testament in Revelation. It says that in this kingdom, God himself will finally and fully be with his people. He says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Doesn't that kingdom sound glorious? Doesn't that kingdom sound so much better than any worldly earthly kingdom we could ever find? Because anything we have in this life is going to fade away. Any riches we have in this life is going to be lost. We still, just moments ago, heard about a loved one who has lost their life. We still, no matter how great this earthly kingdom is, can never compare to the kingdom that's coming. 
And so why is it that those who are persecuted for righteousness sake are blessed? Because that's what's waiting for them. The kingdom of God, a place where we'll never have to hear about anyone's death, a place where we'll never have to have a worldwide pandemic go through again, a place where we'll never have to turn on the news and see injustice and persecution happening all over the world. That's what makes God's people blessed as they suffer for righteousness sake, because they have a king and they have a kingdom. And the reason that Jesus can give that type of assurance to all of us in this room this morning, to all of us around the world, to every Christian in all of human history, the reason that Jesus can give us this type of assurance saying that theirs is the kingdom of heaven is because he's the king. Jesus is the king. And so, brothers and sisters, as we walk through this life on our way to the fullness of the, of the kingdom of God, We need to know and be reminded that whatever we have to go through in this life for Jesus' sake is infinitely worth it. When the world hates you, when everyone else rejects you, when the world despises you, Jesus looks at you and calls you blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. And Jesus knows that this light and momentary affliction is preparing you, it's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And any affliction that we have to face in this life is only weaning our appetites off the things of this world and setting our minds and our thoughts and our appetites on the things to come in the kingdom of God. As we finish this morning, I know that in passages like this, it can cause even true, maybe tender-hearted believers some anxiety and cause us to wonder, well, will I be able to remain steadfast under persecution? Will I be able to keep the faith if I'm questioned like Perpetua was at the very beginning? If that's you this morning, you, you, you know that you have turned from sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you, believer, you can rest assured that your faithfulness is not dependent upon your own strength, but on Christ's strength. As one author says, if Christ puts the yoke of persecution over us, he will put his arms under us. And in John 10, it says that no one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. And so that's why we finished this morning with the great hymn that says this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Our Father, we thank you for the promise that you have given us here in this passage that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So God, I pray for all of us in here who are believers. Lord, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the strength to remain steadfast even under persecution? And God, as we undergo persecution, whether it comes in the form of a verbal persecution or even physical persecution, God, would you fix our eyes on the kingdom to come? Because we know that our eyes on that is what sustains us as we walk through this life. 
God, would you help us to fix our eyes upon you? And Lord, I pray for those who are listening or those who are here this morning, maybe who, who are, are considering whether or not they are truly followers of Jesus because they're considering if they would want to remain steadfast under, under persecution. God, would you show them the great love that you had for them as you went to the cross and endured death in our place so that your death could be our life. Lord, we need you this morning. Help us to not just be hearers of the word only, but doers also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.